Today we're going to focus in on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 24, where, where Paul is going to share what some of those choices might be. Because he is, he is becoming laser-focused here in this section on how we can thrive in our spiritual lives. And that's important today because we live in a world that is changing so rapidly, isn't it? I mean, think about how fast everything changed before this past year. Everything was changing so fast, we just kind of can't even catch our breath. And then all of a sudden, COVID shows up. And it's not just in the United States, and not just in, 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 in the Western Hemisphere. It is worldwide. And all of a sudden, we're having to make choices on a daily basis, sometimes several choices that we never even thought about making before. And then we're told now that we can expect maybe another year of this, if we're lucky. Of course, the CDC is not thinking about what God's going to do in all of this, but, but that's what their advice is, that we're, that we're not going to get back to even we're close to normal, even you know, at the earliest, at the late summer, early fall, and schools are going to go, you know, who knows, and, you know, and... Uh, all these things are happening, and we have to keep making choices, don't we? You know, am I going to go to that, or am I not going to go to that? Am I going to wear a mask or not wear a mask? Am I going to buy more blue tape so I can tape everything off, or am I going to... I was so tired of blue tape. I'm glad you could finally go to a store that's not, you know, like a maze of blue tape, aren't you? But it hasn't fixed anything. It just means that we're not having to deal with that anymore. So all these choices are going on, and, and, and Paul says that that in the midst of all this change, wouldn't it be nice if some things were settled? If some things were that we were moving forward in them. And really, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter what, what COVID is doing or not doing. It should not and it cannot affect our spiritual growth and our ability to thrive spiritually if we make right choices, if we're in the habit of making those little choices that incrementally add up to really big choices that help us to thrive in where we need to be. And so we're reminded that there is something, there are, there are a couple things that are always consistent. They are always constant. They never change. One of them is really good. And that is that Jesus never changes, does he? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look in your notes uh, in Hebrews 13, 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have a Savior. We have Jesus Christ in our corner. And the, and the world may crumble around us, and it may be doing that for you right now. Wherever you're at, it may just feel like it's falling apart and you don't know if you're going to be able to face tomorrow even, let alone get through today. And so even though the world may be crumbling, our, our, and, and you can be sure that God is the same and he's going to be the same tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. That his love is going to be consistent for you. That his grace is going to be there. And since, since before creation, God has remained the same and he will be the same for the rest of eternity. And so we have a God in the person of Jesus Christ who is not changing. 
who is not going to change. And just as people in the Old Testament uh, could depend on him for guidance as, as he moved them from place to place and where they needed to be and how he wanted them to serve them, uh, they, they understood that God was a God who did not change. And as, as those in the New Testament look to God for, for empowerment, they were, they were able to find power to live in that early day uh, of the church. And God was fighting, uh, fighting protection for them and power. Uh, we find that God never changes. And so today we have that same God who says, I will give you guidance. I will give you, I will give you protection. And I will give you power. So we have a God who never changes. And so we say, wow, this is good. I like that. In the midst of everything falling apart, I have a God who's going to be the same. But then there's another thing that never changes. At least it hasn't in all of history. And God tells us it's not going to change until Jesus comes again, at least. But that is the grind-a-day work that we have to do. That life just has this this grind-day-to-day aspect about living. And it's always been tough. It always has. Relationships have always been difficult. Have you figured that out yet? They are. They just come with it. They need to come with a user's manual. It does. We do it in the Bible. But, but, you know, they're tough. They really are. And then not only are, diff- are, are they tough, but jobs are always stressful. They're always stressful. You think, this is going to be the ideal job. I'm going to love it. They're going to love me. And and I'm just going to thrive here. And then after about the first week, you say, wow, this is a lot of stress. Welcome to the world. That doesn't change. And if you're thinking that's going to change, it's not going to. There's always going to be stress involved with working. And, and being involved in any kind of a job. And it doesn't have to be a paid job. It can be a volunteer job. It can be a volunteer position here at church. Whatever you're doing that you're serving and working is going to have some stress involved with it. And then sin is always tempting, isn't it? If you think you're going to wake up one day, tomorrow or the next day, and you're never going to be tempted to sin again, you have another thing coming. I like... I don't lie, it's not, it's not a, a warm, cushy verse, but in, in, in the Gospels, when it talks about when Jesus went out, in the Gospel of Luke, you may have noticed that last week, when he went out for, for 40 days, uh, he was tested in the wilderness. He was tempted. And we think, ah, he got through it. Three temptations and he was done. Kaput, no more temptations. The last phrase says, until the next one. It was just a short matter of time before Satan was going to tempt Jesus again. He was tempted in every way we are, and I was tempted every day. I may just be an abnormal Christian, but I don't think so, because I think you're all tempted every day to sin as well. And so we live in a world that those things are always going to be a grind, day to day. They're always going to be there. The relationships that are going to be tricky and tough and, and the jobs that are going to be stressful and sin that is always going to be tempting to us. And, 
and then the future. Wouldn't it be nice if finally somebody could tell us this is what's going to happen for sure next week or next month or next year? And if you listen to the news, it's going to, they're going to tell you a different story every day about what's going to happen next. Because they don't know the future is always going to be uncertain. Now, we know the big picture of what's going to happen when we're, when we're believers, but we don't know all the certainties leading up to that. And so today, we're not going to know everything that's going to happen next week or next month or next year. Um, that's where we're at. And so... With the exception maybe a few bells and whistles, life is, is, is just as tough now as it has always been. That's a certainty. It is going to continue that way. And so in the midst of all of that, uh, Paul's saying, I can, I can you, he said, you can come to a point where in your spiritual walk, those kinds of things are not going to stop you. You're going to know Jesus, you're going to know his love, you're going to know his grace, you're going to know his mercy, and that's going to empower you. It's going to give you insight, it's going to give you direction, and Jesus is going to protect you through all the things that you don't know that you wish you did, and you never will know all of them, because they're not going to change. You think you got your relationship worked out, and suddenly it's not worked out anymore. And you're back to square one. You're starting again, working on it. So, okay, well, we've got to fix this. Or you, you give in to sin or whatever it may be. And so Paul says, or not Paul, he says, look, here are some things that you can look at. They're spiritual priorities. And so last week I shared with you from the book of Luke what Jesus' spiritual priorities were, what he came to accomplish, his priorities. Today, we're going to talk about Spiritual priorities for us. What are spiritual priorities that we ought to be looking at? And there are a lot of them, but these are three that I believe that, that if we don't have them right, all the other ones that we come up with are not going to work. They're just going to fall by the wayside. And so these are three that have to be preeminent in what we do. And so today, what we're going to look at are three vital priorities that we just must have to strive for personal spiritual growth. These are the things that are going to help us to be able to grow and thrive spiritually. The first thing that the Apostle Paul talks about is the spiritual, is a spiritual exercise of discipline. He says we must exercise spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline. I know you hear that word and you think, I don't like this already. Anything that says discipline in it isn't fun. It's hard, it's uncomfortable, it stretches me when I don't want to be stretched, it makes my muscles sore, and this will it'll make your spiritual muscles sore perhaps, I don't know, but he says we need to discipline, we need to practice that spiritual discipline, we got to exercise it, and he mentions three ways um, that we need to discipline ourselves in the area of our spiritual lives. Notice what he says in verses 16 to 18, he says, always be joyful Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Kind of sounds like wash your hands, 
eat a warm cookie, you know, those kinds of things. Just simple little phrases, but these are so power-packed. And then he says, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So if you're wondering, does every Christian have to do these? Maybe I get out of some of them. Paul says, no, this is what? It's God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So if you belong to Christ Jesus, you better be paying attention. Because you say, I don't know what God's will for my life is. Ha, it's right here. Here's a starting point. For those of you who know Christ as your Savior, Paul's saying, this is God's will for you, and God's will for you involves discipline. And so, this morning, I want to look real quickly here at three things that you need, uh, that you need discipline to do for you. That, that discipline, uh, that we need to discipline ourselves and for our spiritual lives' sake. The first thing that he talks about is the discipline of joy. And you probably never thought of joy as being discipline. Why not? Because joy seems to be a feeling, doesn't it? It's something I feel. I feel good, so it's joy, you know, so it's, it's joy. And we think, erroneously, that we cannot control our feelings. Our feelings just happen. And so we look at that and we say, I can't discipline myself in the area of a feeling. And Paul would tell you, yes, you can. Yes, you can. To a certain degree, you can discipline your feelings. And the feeling that you need to learn to cultivate and practice is the discipline of joy, he says. That joy, and joy is not just based on things around you. It is not happiness, it is not giddiness all the time, but it is joy. We sang this morning, and and many of you may not have noticed, but we sang about joy in that second to the last song, I think, that we sang. And, and it said, Lord, you're my joy. The psalmist said that. David said, we have a God who is our joy. And he's a God who never changes. And so when we put our thoughts and we work in our discipline toward who God is in our lives... He produces joy because he is our joy. And that's a significant thing. And so, looking at verse 16 and 18 again, he said, always be joyful, never stop praying. Um, And and so we want to look at that joyful uh, idea there. So he says, always be joyful in verse 16. Uh, One of of those misconceptions is that that you can't change your feelings, but you, you can you can begin to discipline them. And you need to do that because how you feel about any situation is simply the result of what you believe about that situation. How you feel about that situation is based on how you believe about that situation. There's a really old example, and I'm going to share it with you anyway. You've probably heard it a zillion times. It's an old preacher story, but it's really you know, important here. It just fits the bill for what we're talking about. There was a shoe company that sent two of its salespeople a long ways overseas uh, to a group of people uh, that, that they wanted to start 
markets with. And so when these salesmen got off the plane and they, and they, and they got into town, they looked around and they saw that nobody was wearing shoes. Everybody was walking around barefoot. And they got to their, to their rooms and the first salesman uh, wrote his wife a note all of a sudden and he said, I don't know, I don't understand. My boss must really, really hate me because he sent me to sell shoes to people who don't wear shoes. What a waste of time. The other guy sat in his room and jotted down a note to his wife and he said, my boss must really, really appreciate me and believe in me because he sent me to a society where nobody wears shoes. What an opportunity. Same circumstances, different feelings. How what you believe is going to make the difference in what's going on. And so he says, I want you to give attention to how you feel. You may be facing challenges in your life right now that make feeling joyful a little bit difficult, but you can choose joy. You can choose how you're going to feel about something. So he said, first of all, you need to practice that discipline of joy. Secondly, you need to practice the discipline of prayer. Practice the discipline of prayer. Verse 17, never stop praying. Your Bible might say, pray continuously, which ties it for the shortest verse in the Bible. Never stop praying. We often go through life in such a hurry, and we're so overwhelmed by the events that are going on that we, that we, we meant to pray, but we don't get around to doing it. That we don't do those spiritual things that we need to do. We don't practice spiritual disciplines that we need to be practicing on a regular basis. And because of that, uh, we get into problems. Carl Jung, uh, Jung said that hurry is not the devil, uh, is not, uh, not of the devil, rather. It is the devil. You ever feel like that sometimes? That you've got so much stuff going on that you're just forgetting stuff all over the place and one of the things you're most likely to forget is, is prayer. But when you pray, you know what happens? And you could try this today. When you pray, you slow down. Not for the whole day, but for the time that you're praying, you will slow down. Because you'll become more focused in your thinking. And you'll give time to spending time with God. And so if you feel overwhelmed with life and you feel like everything is just going out and you're about to explode in a million different ways, take time to pray. Because it's going to slow you down. Because you focus your thoughts on God and you stop thinking about all the impossible uh, uh, the, uh, things of everything around you and you start thinking about the possible of everything that is God able to do and you stop thinking about how weak you are and you start thinking about how powerful God is. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, pray hardest when it's hardest to pray? Yeah, that is a true statement. You ought to hang on to that one. Pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. That's when we need to pray, perhaps the most. And that's when we're tempted to not pray at all. 
I'm too busy, I'm too overwhelmed, That's gonna, I, this is an impossible situation I'm facing, and when I don't pray, it tells me a lot about what I believe about God, doesn't it? I start to believe that God can't do something. And the wonderful thing about prayer is that you can be completely honest with God. If you're not sure about that, go back and look at some of the people that prayed in the Old Testament. Look at Job. Read through the book of Job and, and listen to his prayers. Look at, at David, King David, and especially in the Psalms, and you listen to his prayers. And, and maybe you want to look, listen to Jesus in the Gospels, to his prayers. And you'll find out that they didn't withhold any punches. They told God everything. And the reality is that when you pray, you are now talking to the one person in all of creation to whom you can be the most transparent with. Because he already knows everything you're going to tell him anyway. And so there's that safety factor there that says, this is a God who loves me, he created me, and he loves me, and I can be open with him, and I can be transparent with him. And so you spend that time in prayer with him. And you can say, Father, I'm scared. Father, I am lonely. Father, I am weak. And he says, I understand how you feel. Now let me tell you who I am and who I will be in your life. And so we need to practice that discipline of prayer. William Carey, the, the, the father of the modern missionary movement, uh, said this. Um, he said that, the, that prayer, that secret, uh, secret, fervent, believing prayer, lies at the root of all personal godliness. If you want to make a decision that is going to move you toward godliness, it is to pray. It is to say, God, I am going to spend time with you every day. And not just one short little time, but I'm going to spend some extended times with you during the day as well. And so you begin to pray. And then he says you need to practice the discipline, or the, the discipline of thankfulness. So we are to be joyful, we are to, to, to pray, and we are to be thankful. And so thankfulness. God says it this way, be thankful in all circumstances. I want you to underline that word, in. In all circumstances. Because we want to say, well, God, I'll work at being thankful in some circumstances. I'll, I'll try that, but he says, in all circumstances. That means that if you just got chewed out by your boss last week in front of everybody and you were mortified and embarrassed, you can choose to be angry and feel resentment and remorse, or you can choose thankfulness. So how can I be thankful when my, God, when, my, when my boss chewed me out? You can begin to talk to God about it, and you can say, God, I want, to be, I want to thank you because I know that you're in control. I know that you will let my integrity shine forth as the noonday sun. I know that you're going to take care of my needs. I know that if this is not the job that I'm going to stay at, you're going to have a job for me that's going to fill the needs that I have. And so you can do that. If you have a teenage child, or those of you who've had them in the past, and you're thinking, boy, I'm glad I passed that stage. 
Um, you know, you, you understand that that teenager can drive you crazy. The point that you just almost don't like them. But rather than coming to that point, you can say, I'm going to choose thankfulness. God, thank you that through learning to parent this teenager, I am going to be a better person. That our family is going to grow in, in relationship value here as we see you work. And you begin to see how God can work in those situations. And all of a sudden, in all those areas, you thought you never could be thankful. All those circumstances that you would never choose thankfulness. Paul says, in every one of them, you can. Because you are choosing to, to discover joy. You are choosing to spend time in prayer. You are choosing then to allow those to bring thankfulness into your situation. So he said we need to exercise spiritual discipline. Secondly, he says we need to exercise spiritual discernment as well. We need to exercise spiritual discernment. Because we don't live in an exclusively clear-cut world, do we? Where all of the decisions are either right or wrong, they're black and white. We have to make just myriads of choices sometimes that are in the gray area, don't we? And those are tough to figure out. So how do I do that? Paul says it's through discernment. He says, you can't, ever, you know, you can't always believe everything you see on, or hear on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. Can't believe everything that you read in a newspaper. Can't, read, can't believe everything you read in just a normal book. And so there's some discernment that has to come along, and you say, well, man, making these choices is really hard. Um, how many of you ever had an email come to you that says, I am a prince or a princess somewhere in Africa, and I've got like a billion dollars, and I'm going to split it with you because I've chosen you because I know you're such a great person. I've researched this. And if you just send me about five, ten thousand $10,000, I'm going to cut that million dollars in half and you're going to have $500,000 and you all wrote a check, didn't you? And you sent it on off. You know, some of them are kind of easy to, to figure out, aren't they? You say, yeah, delete that one, delete that one. They sent it to me last week, delete it again, delete it again, you know, that type of thing. And so, you know, those things kind of happen. Madeline Marie O'Hare uh, was going was to shut down churches. And, and she kept doing that and doing that and doing that. Way, way after she went missing and is presumed dead, killed by one of her own children. But somehow she was still going to do that. And, and people still pass those kinds of emails around. And you get them and you have to say, is this real or is not? Or you read Facebook and you say, man, is this real or not? I don't know. This is, this is kind of hard to figure out. I'm not sure uh, what I need to be doing about that. Meanwhile, some of you are still waiting for Bill Gates to send you your $2,000. And, and I'm waiting for Toyota to send me my Honda. And, and, um, and Bill Gates could probably do that. He could probably send every person on the face of the earth $2,000 and still be a billionaire. And Honda could certainly send me a car and still have a lot of money. But they're not going to do that. And so discernment says, why am I going to waste time with that? 
I'm not going to spend any time with that nonsense. And, but then we have to make discernment about how am I going to serve God? What am I going to do? Is he speaking to me? And how is he speaking to me? And what is going to say? And so I have to say, okay, God, uh, I want to... I want to make sure that I'm following your will, that I'm listening to you. And, and so in verses 19 and 22, this is what Paul says. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. You know what he's saying there? He's saying use discernment. Learn to use discernment. Practice that. If you want to experience God's power in your life, then you've got to be open to what the Holy Spirit is doing. So you've got to be open to what he wants to do. Spiritual truth number one for this morning is this. Remain open to what God wants you to do. Remain open to what God wants you to do. Now that's really easy to say and very hard to do. I have this box up here. And, and we're going to say that, that it's, it's got, actually it, was a, it had band-aids in it, my office, but, but we're going to call this our box. And you say, why would we have a box like that? Because all of us have a box similar to this, and you know what we do with it? We say, okay, God, I want to put you inside of my box, and then I'm going to shut the lid. So how do I put him in the box? We say, God... I don't think that you ever speak to me. You don't speak to people today. So I'm going to put you in the box. God, I don't believe that you still can work miracles because I don't see it happening, so I'm going to put you in the box. I don't believe that you answer my prayers. I've been praying and praying and praying, and I don't seem to have an answer, so I'm going to put you in the box. I don't believe that you heal people today who are sick and that you work miracles that way. And so I'm going to put you in the box. And so we get God in the box and we shut it. And then we say, okay, God, what's your will and what are you going to do? Give me some discernment. He said, well, you just locked it up in the box. Been talking to you all along. I've been sharing with you all along. So he said, you need to open the box. You need to be open to how God is going to work. And so you listen to the Holy Spirit as he communicates God's word to you. And you don't lock him up. You say, okay, God, I don't know. I have these impossible situations in my life, but I'm going to leave that box open. I'm too weak to do anything about them, but I'm going to leave this box open and not closed. And whatever you're going to put in there, whatever you're going to say to me, whatever you're going to direct me to do, I'm going to believe that if you've done it in the past, you're going to do it today too. And you're going to empower me and you're going to give me that grace to be able to follow. Now that doesn't mean that you don't need some discernment. That you have to test those things that you're hearing. Sometimes, I mean, in today's world, you can hear preachers all over the world preaching every day of the week. And you can watch them. And there's times when you need to test what they're saying. Because just because a preacher says it doesn't make it true. You still have to come back to God's word and you have to hear what God is saying through his word and the Holy Spirit taking that and applying it to your life. And God saying, this is where I'm moving, this is where I'm working, and this is what I'm going to do. And so you need to practice discernment. And then thirdly, 
He says we need to exercise spiritual dependence. In the midst of all of that, as we work on disciplining ourselves spiritually and as we work on discerning God's word and hearing him speak to us, we still must be dependent. There has to be that dependence. In verses 23 and 24 again, he says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. In order to maintain our spiritual health, we have to remember where our spiritual strength lies. It does not lie in us. It just doesn't. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot be someone who is thriving spiritually on your own. It just will not happen. It has to take God's work in our lives. It doesn't happen by ourselves because we cannot make ourselves holy. We can't. It just won't happen. The only way the only way that we can develop and maintain spiritual strength is to depend entirely on the power of God's Spirit at work in our lives. So let me share spiritual truth number two with you today before we leave. The work of sanctification is God's responsibility. The work of sanctification is God's responsibility. Now you said, now you lost me for sure. I mean, that's one of those 25-cent spiritual words that we throw around. I have no idea what you just said. And it's not the word work. We sort of have an idea of that. Sanctification means to be made holy. To be holy as God is holy. And we are called to be holy as he is. We are to be Christ-like. And Christ was holy in every way. So verse 24 again, the emphasis is this. God will make this happen. He who calls you is faithful. I look at it and I say, God, I can't do this. I don't have it within me. I won't be able to do that. And so, God, I don't know what to do about that. I don't know how to be holy. Because you know what, God? I know I'm going to sin. And what happens when we sin is we say, oh, now I'm not holy. God can't use me. God's through with me. God's angry with me. God's going to set me aside. I wonder if I'm even going to go to heaven. God says, you're not thinking about this right. You're not seeing who I am. Because we're all going to fail from time to time. We're going to try to exercise the discipline, uh, uh, the discipline uh, in, in terms of our job maybe or in a, in a you know, and, and to say, God, um, you know, what's my job here? And he says, your job in this is, is, that, um, is that we have to make an effort to exercise discipline. We have to make an effort to discipline um, discernment. But when it comes to making us holy, that is God's job. It is not ours. It will always be his Because when we fail, the good news is that God is still committed to making you holy. God is still committed to loving you. He is still still committed to your success. And, And he wants you to be dependent, not on yourself, but on him. 
So what does it mean to depend on God? How do I depend on God? Let me answer it with this, uh, maybe kind of an illustration. That answer, how do you depend on God, really has to do with how you see sin. How do you see sin? Because the fact is, we all miss the mark. We all fail. And so because of that, we have already built in a stopgap that says, okay, I am just a loser, I am a failure, and I'm bound to be that way. That's going to be my whole life because I can't do anything about it. And so I say to God in that statement, God, you are powerless. God, you are ineffective. God, you are not able to do for me what needs to be done to make me holy. And God says, no, I never ask you to make yourself holy. I ask you to be dependent on me. In 1 John 1, 9, we read, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. John is saying, Apostle John is saying, it's up to us to confess our sin. To say, God, this is wrong. I know I did it. I am sorry about it. Lord, I know I've broken your law. It's wrong. And, and by your mercy and through your blood of Jesus Christ, would you please forgive me? That's our part. We confess. But then John says, his part is to forgive. We can't forgive ourselves. He forgives us. And his job is to cleanse. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So Paul gives us a list of do's and don'ts. Kindergarten kind of stuff of living, it seems like. But then when you put it together, it produces spiritual vitality. It helps us to thrive in our spiritual life. But it comes down to practicing these priorities. Priority of discipline. The priority of discernment. And the priority of dependence. Today, if you are depending on yourself to somehow prove to God how worthy you are of salvation, it's not going to work. It's only going to work when you say, God, I can't do this on my own. But I'm going to confess I'm a sinner. I'm going to ask you to forgive me and accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And he does all the rest. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, as we come to the close of this hour, we thank you for Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who, who is always constant, always there for us, always there when we need his presence. Never changing. Always to be counted on. We pray for that one who doesn't know that kind of a Savior, who has to work every day, who has to depend on themselves every day, who fails every day and has no hope when they go to bed at night. Father, we pray that today would be the day that they would say yes to Jesus. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to thrive in our spiritual lives, even in the midst of all the change, even in the midst of COVID. There is there is an opportunity to grow and to flourish and to know that we are holy as he, Jesus Christ, is holy. We pray these things in his name. Amen. 
If God's speaking to you today and you need to respond, you come. You stand as we stand together. You can come and be glad to talk to you about your salvation. Maybe you're online with us and you want to talk to somebody. You can give us a call. You can text us this week. You can send us an email and be glad to share with you as well. Let's stand together as we sing.